Hello and welcome. My name's Dr. Joanna Bucknell and you are listening to episode 26 of Talking About Immersive Theatre, or Tate for short, which is T-A-I-T. Oh my, it has been a while, hasn't it, since I have brought anything to your earphones uh, or to your speakers, if that's how you're actually listening, Um, for various reasons. Of course, uh, the global pandemic um, being one of those. But uh, so many, so many, so many excuses for why I haven't produced anything for a while and it would take me longer than the episode lasts to explain what all of those are, so I'm not going to. But what I am going to do is share my excitement with you for bringing you an episode that was actually recorded inside a performance space with a performance maker. So I'm really stoked to be able to get back to doing that and to bring you the kind of atmospherics that come with being in the spaces with the people who make the work. So that is absolutely wonderful. In this episode, I chat with the creative and entrepreneurial force of nature that is Nick A. Olivero, or Ollie, some of you might know him by. So he is the man behind the San Francisco Speak Easy, uh, which some of you may have come across or heard about on the immersive grapevine. Uh, so really, there's there's not much more preamble that I want to <laughs> kind of give you. I just want to let you get at the prize. So enjoy. So hello and welcome. Um, for the first time in an extremely long time, I am actually sat in a venue with a maker, which is super exciting. So that um, alone is is wonderful. So I'm here at Mr. Tipsy's Down the Hatch, which is in America Square, which is very exciting, with Nick A. Oliviero, or Ollie for short. <laughs> so hi, Ollie. Hello, Thank hello. you so much for taking time out, because I know managing and running a venture like this is an extraordinarily time-consuming task, so I really do appreciate your time. That's my pleasure. As you know, I'm a huge fan, Thank and I've been you. listening to your podcast for quite some time. You didn't know that you had uh, fans in America no. listening. Well, yeah. I, I, I can see like stats, and it says where people are listening, and sometimes and I'm one, crazy one little One little dot in San Francisco. <laughs> yeah, I would I would uh, take my dog on uh, walks and listen, you know, a nice hour, hour and a half. Uh-huh. Sometimes they're all different lengths. They are all different lengths, because different people talk for different talk. amounts of well, time. Well, this one will be three and a half so. hours. Well, I've just recorded lots of interviews for my book, and uh, they're all three and a half hours, and the chapters have to be 8,000 words, so that's going to be... It'll be a little bit of editing. A little bit of editing. (laughs) So, can you start off by telling us just a little bit about sort of your background, how you got into Mm. the theatre? You were a scenic designer, weren't you, kind of initially? Uh, No, I mean, well, uh, I've done it, uh, and I kind of do it, but uh, I mean, I started acting when I was 12 mm-hmm. and then uh, all through I, I don't know your terminologies out here but what we would call middle school and then high school before I went to college uh, and in high school my theater teacher uh, had me direct a one act there was this uh, very funny I grew up in Texas and um, there was this show called uh, Greater Tuna which was kind of made the rounds and it's, it's uh, two people who play a lot of roles and so I directed okay. this at 17 years old it was a one act oh, wow. and um, also performed in it and then my senior year directed a, um, a full length like we did a murder mystery every year so by that point I'd already started directing and then in college I started my first acting troupe which was based on a, a, a neo-futurist which is uh, a 
kind of this neo kind of dadaist it's it's 30 plays in 60 minutes the audience chooses the order of it uh um, judith melina from the living theater yes, uh, uh, right <laughs> okay well. who's now since passed but she was when i was in college she'd come and spoken to the group and to oh, my wow. to my school and everyone was really excited about this type of mm-hmm. work and so i i started my first acting troupe uh the second semester of my freshman year and then I transferred schools and started another acting troupe. So I've mm-hmm. basically been producing, directing yeah. uh, for quite some long time. But I did sets when I was 12. I was I, I, I just didn't like the way they looked. And so I would just come in and, mm-hmm. and work on them. Um, I was a bit of a theater nerd. And so uh, I started my theater company in San Francisco, 2005. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's, I mean, it just, it's tr- like everything. It's, it's kind of changed over the years. And yeah. what's interesting about San Francisco is, uh, I mean, especially this genre, you know, the immersive genre, which I love the history of it and it goes back really far. I mean, I think you absolutely. can call living theater yes. immersive yes, theater. Absolutely. Uh, and of course, uh, Tony Tina's wedding, um, mm-hmm. uh, who a very good friend of mine, uh, uh, Mark Nasser, and the co-writer of Mr. Tipsy Down the Hatch with me, uh, was the co-creator on, on you know Tony Tina's, right? This yeah, is like yeah, uh, yeah, from yeah. New York City. It's the longest running off Broadway. I yeah. mean, it's an immersive show. I mean, it's like interactive. Yeah. It's they call it experimental back in the eighties. Yes, well, that's the thing. You know, seventies, sixties, all of that yeah. was just sort of experimental, whatever. Experimental, yeah, and I was calling it experiential movies. in the early two yeah. thousands. We yes, were trying to coin the term, <laughs> uh, so I had experiential theater, and then we had this. I remember in my first theater at the Boxcar Playhouse. We had a sign in the window that said, like, what is experiential theater? Mm-hmm. And we were trying, you know, because we had to explain what the hell we were yes. doing. And, um, but, you know, we, at first it was more of like a director's theater. Well, we started off as a writer's theater. And then um, every, everyone's a writer's theater in America. Yeah. They're yeah. all writer's yeah. theaters. And uh, especially magic theater. And that's really one of the things that inspired me. You know, they did all mm-hmm. the Sam Shepard plays back in the 70s. And, you know, I'm a... Uh, when I was an angsty teenager, really inspired by, you know, the, the angry family dramas of yes, dealing with your yes, father. Yes. Uh, and so all that Sam Shepard stuff. And so we, um, so, you know, we started off there and creating stuff collaboratively. And and then I was trying to find a niche for the company. Uh, and kind of the auteur director concept came up. Mm-hmm. And I started uh, producing, I would have my own stuff, and I was trying to find other directors to kind of, turn things on their head we had boxcar theater turning theater on its head mm-hmm. and uh so we around that time i went to this like 2007 2008 i went to berlin and was just inspired by the berliner ensemble theater mm-hmm. of and act which is in san francisco f- founded by bill ball in the 60s was a was a company and they yeah. would do things in rep and so the idea of rep was very interesting to me and trying to yeah. i've always been trying to build a company mm-hmm. like a company of performers yeah which is rep i mean we had such a strong kind of uh, context of rep in the UK that has yeah. been in the last 20 years. Well, it's 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 financially yeah. unstable. And so ACT moved away from it. Mm-hmm. And I was, you know, young and, and stupid. And, and now I'm just older and stupid. But uh, <laughs> we, I, so we did, uh, we did three uh, Tennessee Williams plays in rep mm-hmm. where we did, we did Streetcar, Cat and Hot Tin Roof and uh, Glass Menagerie. Mm-hmm. And the actors were, each of the actors were in two different shows. Oh, great. And then we did four Sam Shepard plays in rep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that was, so I did two, two things of rep and those shows were very, it, you know, they're, 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 we've always kind of, I've taken immersive elements and put them into shows. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Uh, I did a production of um, Little Shop of Horrors where we started on the streets of San Francisco oh, and we gave the dentist a uh, uh, motorcycle license. You know, he oh, took great. lessons yeah, to drive yeah. up <laughs> and we had the band outside and, you know, this was kind of a dodgy part of San Francisco so there were actually homeless people and then we had our actor homeless people and mm -hmm. they would just, they were there. I mean, they were the residents of this yeah. of this area. And so they would learn, they ended up learning the songs <laughs> and just singing. And people were like, how did they, there was this little boy who was like five years old on the sixth floor who would hang out and just sing oh. every night with us. And people were like, how did this guy do this? And I was like, you know. <laughs> people have just started They just got, it. yeah, they started showing up just singing. We're like, it works, you know. Uh, and then we'd bring people in and kind of turn the whole place into a flower shop as, uh, like the box office is a flower shop. Mm -hmm. So there's been immersive elements in the shows uh, as as I was tackling um, uh, like old, either older work or or stuff that's already been written, yeah. as well as kind of new work that we were doing, um, and um, yeah, and then the the I did uh, Hedwig and the Angry Inch, and I ran that for nine months and mm -hmm. turned the theater into the Bilgewaters, oh. and it was very much like you went to this little dive bar uh -huh. uh, where you watched Hedwig, and instead of having one, are you f you're familiar with the musical, yeah. It was, I mean, they actually just did it in um, a few years ago on Broadway. Uh, but this, it was a very kind of sleepy show. Like, people, drag queens here and there would do it. Uh, but it's, it's done with uh, one performer, and I reimagined it with eight different people playing Hedwig on the same night. Uh -huh. uh, so they would, so you would, you saw a little bit more of who Hedwig was, you know, yeah. as a man, as a woman, as yeah. in between, as, as, um, you know, the way uh, they viewed themselves and, uh, or other people viewed them. And uh, so we had these kind of different uh, archetypes, like Dolly Parton kind of dark type, or Billy Joe Armstrong mm -hmm. from Green Day. Uh, and so you would see these different characters, but it really opened up the casting too. So we had a lot of yeah. variety of large, small, and black and white and Which brown. Which is great. Yes, yeah, so we had all, it was a beautiful, beautiful show. We ran that for nine months. And when I closed that, it was to do uh, the speakeasy which has kind of consumed the last uh, seven years of my life. Yeah, I was going to say Speakeasy's been a huge success that we've heard about here as well over the pond. And so I wanted to kind of ask you about that and how it kind of got off the ground and how you managed to sort of put something like that together. You know, I came up with that show in 2006. So this is, this is this interesting thing of like, you know, who, I always kind of talk about immersive theater, like it was, it's in the, in the ether. Yes. Right there. I wasn't aware of Punch Drunk or Secret Cinema or anything that was happening over here. Mm -hmm. And as much as they weren't aware of me no. in San Francisco, and I'm sure other people who are doing it in other parts of the world, but there's Absolutely. a lot of practitioners who were working on the same kind of problem. Yes. And one of the things I have that's a little different is that, uh, you know, I talk, as I talk to younger you know, practitioners there inspired by Punch Drunk's work or my work or whoever's work. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then it becomes a little bit more of a, I don't know if facsimile is the right word, but you know, they're, they're being, they're, they're pulling from No, that. I agree. And so when you're over there doing your own thing, you're mm -hmm. just kind of making it up as you go along. Yeah. And so we have very different styles uh, from yeah. what I do. And there was nobody else in San Francisco doing immersive theater. Oh. As I moved, there's just not another company. So I, of course, have to really educate my audience on like, what is immersive theater? And I always yeah. say it's like if, if Hamilton has to say, what is a musical? Like yeah. if you have to explain to people what a musical is, yeah. uh, you're, you're, you're kind of, it's an uphill battle a little yes. bit. Uh, yeah. So out here there's this a nice ecosystem where people are being informed by the other work they've seen. And so it, yeah. it, it 
brings them into it. But uh, in 2006, I had uh, created a show called Big Company, and this was our first full length um, uh, before I even had the theater. Uh, we were I was working at the Magic Theater, and we rented the Magic Theater. And I always tend, whenever I'm in tech, in the most stressful places, to uh, I need to let my imagination kind of starts to go. I need to be in a happier place because tech yes. is not happy. No, right? no, so, <laughs> so I just started thinking of this space and started, I don't even know why. I just thought, how cool would it be if I turned this space, the space I was in, mm-hmm. and had a little cabaret and the outside was a, you know, kind of a bar. And I just had the one storyline, which was there's a uh, African-American um like a ragtime player who's in love with a white cocktail server. And that was the first storyline of the speakeasy was this kind of, you know, dealing with uh, that kind of amore relationship in um, uh, the 1920s. And, you know, I was like, oh, there'll be a casino in there and you'll knock and you'll be able to go in. But again, there was, this is 2006. Yeah, I Um, started my PhD in 2006. So I had the same, because I'd seen a few things that were not called immersive theater at all. They were called various things. And I just had had that itch for that, and I knew it. And I was really inspired by like Dada yeah. and Living Theatre and all of those kind of things that sat around that idea of the experiential. And so, at a similar time, was starting to try to find a way of expressing what that might be. Yeah. Now. Now everyone's got words for it. Tough. There's, There's like yeah. a big wrecking ball of immersive. Yeah, and everybody immersive. knows what it is, and you go, yeah. well, it's a and, and I'm very, I'm very relaxed at the turn because I go, well, you know. Um, a murder mystery can be immersive theater. Why not? You yeah, know, yeah. it's it's like I, people have these kind of strict definitions. And <laughs> it's funny if you Google it or I don't know, there's a couple of places where it tells you what it needs. And I was like, that's not what it is. Like, no. I'll tell you what it is. You know, <laughs> like, well, well, you know, it could be anything. It's, it's interesting to say, hear you say as well that it started with that, that the story with, with that, that moment between those two characters that you were thinking well, of. Well, I... Th- Here's the thing I think about immersive theater is, um, without sounding condescending towards something I've been doing for quite a long time, it's it's a gimmick, it's a tool, mm-hmm. it's it, it's by it's, it's not the meat on the bone, it's 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 a way to tell a story as much as a musical is. You don't yeah. say, oh, I'm just you don't just make a musical. No. You don't just make a play. <laughs> you don't just do a, a you know a, a committed art like it has to have a story. Everything has to have a story. Mm-hmm. And I'm surprised when I hear people people will talk about like uh, like with Mr. Tips they go. Uh, when will the script be ready? And I was like, well, I'm hiring you to build it. Like, of course, yeah. the script is already ready. And they're like, it is? And I was like, is it not? And they're like, in a lot of these cases, it's not ready. And I was like, well, how is that going to be a good, like, is that going to be a good production if there's no, like, what, what no. are you, you're building around the gimmick? So to me, it's like, if a story doesn't need to be told immersively, don't tell it immersively, right? Yeah. Uh, if it's, you know, I'm not going to do an immersive production at Death of a Salesman. No. I just would love to do a production of Death of a Salesman yeah. one day, but I, what's the immersive quality of it? Because like, I, you give everyone the garden hose at the end and say, yeah. let's I all see what Willie Loman... <laughs> no, you don't want to get inside of that. Inside that. <laughs> and there's some stories that don't, uh, shouldn't, I don't think you should. I mean, when I was uh, in 2001, I started coming up with an immersive concept for George Orwell's 1984. Oh. And uh, I reached out to and was, uh, I, this is before, now there's loads of 1984 productions. Mm-hmm. But in 2001, is the rights were still very much uh, under control by the Orwellian estate. And I reached out to the Orwell estate in 2011. And they were, they were open to the idea of hearing the concept. Uh, but I moved off of it because 
I, I think as I've gotten older, my, you know, I also like doing horror. I've done uh, haunted houses, like a Winchester Mystery House and, and you know, one of the haunted houses in, Sam, in, in Cupertino. Uh, my appetite for, for harming people psychologically mm-hmm. <laughs> has, has kind of dissipated and moved to something else. And something like 1984 as an immersive experience could really mess with someone. It's like the Stanford Prison Experiment, yes, as I'm sure yes. you know about. Yes. Um, and I've looked at a lot of that as I was preparing for 1984. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in my 20s, this was going to be awesome. And in my 30s, it was okay. And now I'm in my 40s and I'm going, let's just make people laugh a little bit. Mm-hmm. Let's let's have people smile. Also, why why our, aren't we doing that? Our world is um, sometimes I feel far too close to an Orwellian realization. Well, they've been saying that since 1948 when yeah. they wrote the book, yeah. you know. Wait, and so I they said it in 84 when the 48 and the 84 were fl- They've I'm been like, saying. Do I need to get inside that now? Yeah. I feel like I've but we're definitely inside that already. Yeah, <laughs> it's definitely a, a harder political environment, yeah. you know, especially in my country, um, with the last president, you know, that that changed. I mean, literally on election day, we said, uh, this might this might tank our show. We said that at the beginning, before we had just opened, and we were oh, like, God. how is this going to, I just knew, I was like, the, something's gonna change, and mm-hmm. it did. People changed, and, and you know, that, that ether kind of changed a bit, and we saw that effect, but in 2014, when when Obama was president, uh, telling the story, you know, that story of, of the, uh, was, was, was okay. And felt uh, very hopeful. Yeah, well. it felt very hopeful so because those, it felt like those time. changes were being made. Yeah. Uh, but I, I had stories in Speakeasy, the original uh, production that were about uh, World War One mm-hmm. and uh, shell shock or, you know, what they called shell shock, post-traumatic stress, yeah, yeah. which was undiagnosed. And this was, this was the second storyline I came up with. I remember when I came up with it, it was, it was, I was listening to this song. It's from Oh What a Lovely War. It was bombed last night and bombed oh, the night before. Yeah. And it's such a chipper song. Yes. And so we reenacted like him looking for his gas mask in mm-hmm. this moment. And uh, with this chipper song being played and all these people coming out in gas masks and we were gassing the room. Oh, it was a beautiful, wow, yeah. scary moment. And by 2017, I, I mean, North Korea is announcing that they can hit us with nuclear weapons. Yeah. And I was like, I got to cut this scene. Yeah. I was like, this is not. <laughs> I was like, nobody wants to be reminded of war right now. No. And and we're going, and we all think this lunatic's gonna put us back into war. So. Well, that's the balance, isn't it? It's um, and I I have this trouble with some of the research things that I do. Is sometimes the things that we're looking at or we're exploring are really troubling or really difficult. So how do you how do you encourage people to kind of come to that or to want be inside that and it's finding isn't it? it's knowing when how to structure some of those things and, and what to give people sort of access to that is still at least a bit entertaining well or at least a, a little bit yeah I, you, you might be kind of trying to ride the line between two things is you know you have an academic background I'm mm. an educator as well and or had been and I continue to you know I'll, you call me up and say can you talk to this class and I'll drop everything I do because I think that's important uh, but the, you know, the, and I came up through the nonprofit model, or so you call it charity. And yeah. so, you know, I wasn't, I didn't initially wasn't driven by profits and turning a buck, and I wasn't. Uh, but I also, you know, I'm pretty adamant now, and I wish someone had, had told me this earlier, really kind of insisted on this earlier, but it's like, why do artists need to be poor? Mm-hmm. You know, why do I not need to make, why, why don't I deserve to have nice things in life? Yeah, you know, exactly. I don't need to suffer for my art. Mm-hmm. And so I started becoming more, uh, profit focused or commercially yeah. driven and um, 
I, I went to, there's a great program called CTI Commercial Theater Institute in New York, and, you know, it's meant for musicals and stuff. And, you know, you talk to mm -hmm. David Stone, you know, produced Wicked and Kevin McCollum and all these great producers. Yeah. And um, I left and I was like, man, all of these guys are totally bullshitting their way through their career. Yes. No one knows what they're talking about. Yes. I can do that. And yeah. so I came back and said, guys, we're gonna do we're gonna do speakeasy and we're gonna we're gonna raise at first it was eighty five thousand. Everyone's like eighty five thousand. And then by the end of it I was like, it's it's a quarter of a million. Uh, and then when we did the second speakeasy, so okay, this is two and a half million dollar build, mm -hmm. and it just kept getting. And he just kept going. Well, where are you going to find it? Like, oh, you know, it's a good idea. People are going to find it, but yeah. you got to build something to last. And I think there's, you know, there, there's creating those passion projects where you go, I'm going to run this thing for six months. It's not going to make any money. That's mm -hmm. fine. You know, yes. I love you, me, bum bum train. I think it's like the best immersive experience I've ever been to. Yeah. It makes no financial sense at all. No. I've I've looked at it every. There's no way that thing could ever make money, but it does. It should exist and people should pay for it yes. and then but something like this like Mr. Tipsy's or the speakeasy you know I'm also designing it to give people jobs yes. right yeah. it's like yeah. I'm participating we paid something like two million in actor salaries wow. at the speakeasy yeah. and uh, Boxcar sequentially because of that show Boxcar is the theater company that I founded and then speakeasy is a show that was uh, that that was then being produced in that in, in our theater um, it you know, it became the second largest theater in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. uh, ACT, of course, is like a $22 million company. Well, it becomes a large endeavor, doesn't it, in the way that musical theater, because musical theater has always been expensive and musical yeah. theater has always kind of worked in that those large spaces in terms of finances, yeah. and, but also jobs. But you have to drill <laughs> down into what you can and what you cannot put on stage. Yeah. And you have to let go of, you know, the artist side, right? And I produce my own work, mm -hmm. you know, so I'm both the creative director, I'm the, you know, CEO, producer, whatever you want to call it. And you have to start getting judicious, you know, on, on what will what will stay, what will go, mm -hmm. if you want to stay open for a long time. And how do you, do you, do you do a lot of market research and sort You of know, I, I, I think I do, but uh, <laughs> the number of things I get wrong, you'd think I hadn't done any at all. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the thing is people, in my experience, people behave in ways that are often very surprising. And so I should imagine it's rather difficult to kind of keep on top of, of knowing or ahead of what people might want. Well, it's amazing too, the things I look at that, that that drive, like I said, you know, I read an article about uh, North, I mean, it really was between North Korea and then there was, um, you know, not to talk about the negative stuff that happens in life, but, you know, the, there was the Orlando shooting uh, mm -hmm. at the gay bar. Yeah. And it was those two things just happened, I think, at the same time. They were just on my mind. And I was like, I have to change the show. Yeah. I have to change this element of the show. And I went on this whole thing about it. And my, my director was when I said that last bit of, and that's why I'm cutting this scene, she was mm -hmm. like, how did you get from A to, you know, B <laughs> over here? Yeah. And I was like, it's just people aren't going to feel, they're not going to feel right about it, you mm -hmm. know? And uh, so I look at, especially coming out here, I'm in a, I'm in a very foreign culture. Yeah, and say. I thought I knew what was like the, the, the differences. <laughs> we might speak the same language, but we are not talking about the same things at right. all. And San Francisco is in America. San Francisco is a bubble into itself. Yeah, I was going to say San Francisco is kind of what well, externally perceived as being a kind of sort of arty bubble. Yeah, we're we're very <laughs> weird, and we will do things like I could tell people. I gave people pocket watches that were inscribed that said "Call this number and show up," and people did that. 
Mm-hmm. And out here, I'm like literally dragging them by the ear and they're like, oh, I don't know. I might go to the pub, <laughs> you know? And so you're going, there's a different level of, uh, I think, uh, appetite for risk. But as I say, we're, we're the city that got into strangers' cars first. Yes. You know, we're yes. the city that stood in line outside to get a phone that had a screen on it. Mm-hmm. Back when putting music on a phone sounded crazy. crazy yeah. And we're the people who drive hours and hours to go to a desert with 50,000 other people to do a bunch of hallucinogenic drugs and party (laughs) you know in Blackrock and then you know come back and decompress and throw more parties over there Mm -hmm. so it it doesn't take us you know you can at the drop of a hat we will put on a costume Mm -hmm. and show up somewhere uh, that we've never been to before so what that is kind of that culture and we're also very um, cocktail forward culture you know we like our cocktails and we like knowing that we've paid a lot of money for our special little cocktails. Uh-huh. I think London is definitely catching up with cocktails, but London is better. You got nowhere no near. Way. Nowhere oh. near. Gin, no. though, gin. Is you guys like your gin. gin you like yeah. your gin. But uh, it's, I've, I've... Mother's one of, ruin, it used to I've, be called, yeah. yeah, I've had to pull back a little bit, because the way I make cocktails are very spirit-forward. Mm-hmm. And people go, wow, this is really strong. And then I'll put a little bit of sugar simple in there and they go uh-huh. oh this isn't as strong and I'll go well, let's be clear I didn't take any booze out no, just, <laughs> I just, added, just sweetened it <laughs> so <laughs> you don't like the taste of the booze that's fine so uh, we we have a frozen margarita and we have a, a martini I've now changed the martini to a perfect martini which has sweet vermouth in it mm-hmm. uh, but I had a one of my US investors came and I said I will know which I can tell you which drink you're going to like and which drink your favorite and your worst and mm-hmm. it will be the opposite. And uh, sure enough I said uh, your favorite was the martini and he goes yes and I said your least favorite was the frozen margarita and he goes yes I said that is the, and I said hold on one second and I looked just four <laughs> people right there I said what was your favorite drink frozen margarita and I said and what was your least favorite ah, that was that gin thing. <laughs> <laughs> and I, he goes, that's crazy. And I said, it, I said, we've yeah. got totally different palettes yeah. that have been, you know, over centuries uh, defined. Yes. You know, oh, well, not centuries yeah. for us, centuries for you guys. But, you know, <laughs> we go back to Prohibition, like the 20s, yes. when we were making bathtub gin and having mm-hmm. to cover up the taste of our formaldehyde, <laughs> you know, <laughs> with with some with yeah. a little bit of sugar and some bitters, you know, and well, I was going to ask a lot about that because the thing is, is has such success um, in San Francisco and with Speakeasy and I've kind of heard about that and people talk about it as well and what's it been like kind of doing transition well what made you first of all want to come and come I'm crazy like a fox I I mean the weather, just for a start. You know, you know, San Francisco <laughs> weather is very similar to London oh, weather. Okay. Yeah, it's cold and rainy. It's not sunny, San Francisco. It's oh, yeah. This okay. is this is more what I'm used to, that's, except that's I have a car, <laughs> and uh, I don't have to walk as much. And although I've lost quite a bit of weight being out here, so I do appreciate walking, that. Walking, walking, uh, walking, walking. walking. Um, <laughs> you know, we were going to bring the speakeasy out here. I, so this is I was I wanted to bring speakeasy to Chicago. My business partner wants to bring speakeasy to London. Mm-hmm. I said, well, whoever gets a, a, a lease first. Okay. And uh, so we've been coming out here for years, and you know, just trying to get a get our heads around it, and um, and then I said, you know, this it's such a big show, and it's I've I've it's it's a, a very large project, and I said, you know, it's mm-hmm. a very expensive project to build too, and I said, yes. you know, I'd like to maybe start with something smaller, especially because I go, we're going to get something wrong. There's going to be a hundred variables, yes, and we're going to get I don't know, maybe twenty five of them wrong, maybe more, maybe less, somewhere around there, yeah. right? And um, if you have a thousand variables, 
250 is a lot to fix versus, you know, whatever that percentage yeah, is, yeah. right? Yeah, of course. And I said, if we do something smaller, we can pivot, we can kind of move a little bit quicker. Yeah. And I said, because I don't know what we're going to get wrong. And this is, you got to do R&D when you're doing a new project in a different, especially a different place. And, mm -hmm. and I know, I, what I do know is that people will go nuts, because we have a speakeasy room here, which I built like with my eyes closed. Yeah. I was like, do this, do this, do this, Anything you know? I was like, and people are there that room is packed. It's just packed. And yeah. I was like, oh my God, we should do this. Yeah. We got to do the show. But you know, the real estate market's different out here. We were chatting about that before we got on, and yes. it's, it's I, I could do a whole nother uh, hour on real estate, <laughs> but we'll, we, we won't, um, except to say that it's different. And um, so I, I said, you know, let's do another project, and Aaron Gillies, who's one of the directors on Speakeasy and uh, the forms director for Mr. Tipsy's, uh, she had a show called Slumber Party, mm -hmm. which uh, she had been kind of tinkering with off and on and I said do you you know do you want help developing this I'll write it with you and I'll produce it and so uh, a little bit of a deal with the devil you know you gotta yeah, <laughs> now, yeah. you can, now you gotta deal with me and my <laughs> my you know insistencies because I also you know don't want to just throw a one night party I want to have something that's going to run and, yeah. and bring lots of people to um, and so we we created Slumber Party and it was done being written as the pandemic hit so we actually did a you know, a Zoom reading, because it was ready, and we, we had a reading set up, and yeah. so we had people in London, we had people in Birmingham, we had people all around the UK, wow. plus Americans, and different parts of America, because we're in Zoom, so we did that reading. Yeah. And uh, Slumber Party is is a very, it's gonna be a great fun show where people are running around and doing different stuff, and uh, it's just way too sweaty for a post-COVID experience. And so I was like, I can't do this sweaty show where you're jumping on trampoline beds and taking zip lines, you know, no, trying to get over no. the line. Like, it's this, it's a, it's a jungle gym show. It's just crazy. It's a lot of craziness I'll wrapped up. Clean. And it's, yeah, I was like, this is, this is not going to, it's just going to be too sweaty mm -hmm. and people don't want to be, they're, they're not going to want that. Mm -hmm. So I was still very committed to coming to London with a show and I created the concept of this show uh, in 2019, I think as it was as Speakeasy was closing again, mm -hmm. anything stressful or thing, I go, I retreat, retreat into, into something, into something, something, new. something new and fun that, that, yes. that, that doesn't have the potential of going wrong because uh -huh. I haven't done it yet. Yes. And, yeah. um, uh, so I came up with this concept. It was originally called Wonderful World of Alcohol. And it was just a joke, you know, of like, because we have selfie museums in America. And I was like, I can make a selfie museum. These are, you know, <laughs> why not? Let me just make something as a selfie museum, but it'll have more theater in it, you know, and booze. <laughs> And so I was on my fifth black Manhattan, which is a, a twist on a, on a Manhattan with uh, a Verna. And uh, I was like, aha, Rika, I have it. Let's do a booze selfie museum. So that's where the idea, I tabled it. And then when the pandemic hit, I thought, who, what are people going to want to do? What do I want to do? I want to travel. Up, I want to yeah. meet with my friends mm -hmm. and I want to drink. So why don't I create a bar crawl? Uh, under one roof where people can go to all these different places they can't normally go to uh -huh. and and visit with their friends which is literally what people are doing yeah. and it, that part works right that's I yes. mean all the stuff I got wrong uh, and are and are still fixing like the drinks and the cocktails and that yeah. the experience itself works and it translates I was gonna say surely as long as the sort of the structure and that's something that's something when you've been making work for a long time that you, you do know well you kind of understand how to how to get people in how to move them around a space or how to get oh them i've been moving people space. I, so you're okay as an educator you're like this <laughs> i got brought in uh to to work with uh this private school very as you would say a posh private school it okay. was uh, uh i was it was like uh, yeah there was a lot of who's who of people that you're like oh yeah like 
uh, uh, Gary Marshall's granddaughters mm-hmm. were going to this school, but it's like Gary Marshall, you know, Mork right. and Mindy and stuff. Yeah. Uh, Christopher Columbus's daughter. So it's very. It was uh-huh. this mixed bag of 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 students, but they're all very very sweet. So they asked me to come and like, can you work on their Shakespeare scenes? And so we did. Uh, <laughs> we did the Scottish play one year, and we did. Um, uh, oh, it's the Scottish play every single year. That's right. I was like, what was the other one? No, it's just the Scottish. I had to do just it every that. year. Oh, I did God. this for like three years. So every year I would completely do a different concept with these uh-huh. kids. because, uh, and so I, Otherwise you get I, bored. <laughs> and I, but what I was doing is R&D. I was moving the uh-huh. parents, the audience, yep. and I was using the kids and using different parts of the school mm-hmm. as as the as the, the, the where the scenes were. The sets, yeah. And one year I did like a tour, like a, literally a tour where we moved them around. And the... I- and the kids, the actors, were the scenes were built in a way where you'd follow them into the next room and they would cross over. I mean, all of these techniques that I still use to this day. Uh-huh, and uh-huh. Uh, another one was uh, we started one group at the end of the show. They had the, the mm-hmm. we had the death of uh, of Duncan, and then some people started at the end, some people started at the beginning. They got to the banquet uh, and then uh, crossed. Okay. And this is even before I saw Sleep No More. This is so long ago. Well, the thing is as well is you can do that when it, with an IP like that that everybody knows. Yeah. That's yeah. the thing, and, and I think that. Is, is and the kids so were just doing little ten minute yeah. scenes. They, yeah. they, they just they had time to work so they a little scene. But I figured out how to move some hundred and fifty parents very very quickly, which yeah. is literally when I was doing um, um, uh, the what was the musical uh, the the Little Shop of Horrors. So I had to move people outside inside, and mm-hmm. I was like, I have a minute and seventeen seconds to do this. So we came up with concepts that we used in speakeasy, like everyone's going to wear a flower, flower color coordinating, people know where to go, mm-hmm. and so you come up with these tricks. Like for me, I like is the cleverness of like how can the audience not know that we're moving them. Right. Yeah, it's, and hi- so, it's hiding it, isn't it? In, yeah. in world or in concept. Yeah. So you, you know, we do the same thing. It's like we have buffers, and you know, you hit because you got to resync shows, and mm-hmm. it's like, is the buffer music? Is it a lighting cue? Is it this thing? And so we put all or people movers. I want to move people around and get them here. So I have my own vocabulary. Yeah, of course, that you, you of hear course. it and you go, oh, that makes sense. Like yeah, every, or every single practitioner I, I speak to have their own because there's no sort of consistent vocabulary yeah. that runs across it. Not like in, you know, when you go to a theater that's got velvet seats and curtains, there's there's really yeah. core language, isn't there, that is shared across that and everybody uses the same like prompt script. Well, what's great about being stuff. out here is that there's more people who've been doing this type of work. So in San Francisco, you know, I have to develop a lot of this and teach other people how to do it, right? Yes, or say, hey, yeah. d- this is the concept, because they're not. They, they do you have like a sort of like a manual or a process book or something of, of your like? I have so your, like, many documents. You would spend hours <laughs> reading all of my documents, and now I'm going. I I, I said something to one of my I go, don't write this. I said I have it somewhere. I just got to go find it, and we'll just change speakeasy to Mr. Tipsy on the Hatch, and still it all it all applies. Uh-huh. Uh, we called so Tom Sims, who our associate performance director out here. Uh, it was great to work with because he understands timing. He originated the White Rabbit and, and Alice in Underground Adventures and uh, I worked say, on. They, they, they became masters at moving. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but they had their own, and it's fun to talk again. about those. Like, so how'd you screw this one up? And they're like, yes, oh man, like these are amazing. No one, no one got breaks for three hours. You know, <laughs> like yeah, I remember that. We were, you know, you're, you're starting to get a little bit. You know, you yeah, go. You start to, when you make the mistake a few times, you go, uh, uh, we don't need to do that again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can see that one coming around the corner. But, yes. uh, you know, we, we called, so the document I created was uh, the timing of events, the TOE, mm-hmm. uh, which everyone talks about time code. It's time code. But yeah. my time code was uh, six different rooms for three and a half hours by the minute. 
mm-hmm. and I could tell you where anybody was at any at given any moment, given you know, yeah. by the minute. And uh, we, I started getting reached out to by, uh, again, being in Silicon Valley, uh, Facebook's VR team um, and Pixar's VR team. Mm-hmm. They started sending their teams to the speakeasy to essentially just, you know, have a look how it works. It's called stealing. Yes. <laughs> it's called. So, and they would go, do you want to come to our campus and talk to our team? And I go, yeah, I like a free meal. Yes. Like, I know what you guys are doing. And uh, IDEO, do you know IDEO? Have you heard of this company? Uh, no. They created a, a fun little thing you probably use every day called the mouse <laughs> and oh. a smart shopping cart. So people hire them to solve problems like oh. the mouse and stuff like that. Okay. And so they're, they're technology. So they came in and I, I said, do you, I was talking about the timing of events and I go, um, do you, you want to see it? And they were just, you'll show it to us? And I said, listen, you can, one way or another, you can figure this out. Mm-hmm. You can come here you 25 times. You can figure yeah. learn or I said, <laughs> or I said, I can show it to you. I said, it's not going to mean anything to you. You know, I said, also, you, it's not going to change the fact that you can build the technology, but you're going to need creative people yeah. to think three-dimensionally. Yes, and so, to think through that and to also apply it. Yeah, someone's got to apply <laughs> I said, you know, you can show me the bits to a radio. I can't build a radio. No, like, no, well, no. Exactly. So you can tell me all day long you need someone to build the radio. Mm-hmm. I said, so you're going to need someone to, I said, you're, you know, directors think two-dimensionally. I said, it's, I think, three-dimensionally. So yes. if you would like, you know, to hire me to do that for you, like, yeah, that's, that's the angle here, yes, but I'm happy exactly. to show you the documentation. So I showed it to them, and they were just, you know, Wow, this is like how'd you do? You know, and you just go well. You know, over time you start thinking, uh, but it was a you know it's a fun process. It's a difficult process when you're writing something, and you know uh, Ben, my co-writer, would write a scene, and I go, no, no, this person, why'd you put this character in there? And he goes, oh, I thought it would, and I go, no, they're not here. <laughs> they're not. They're over that. here right now. Yeah. If you want them here, I got to see if I can get them over there. But now we got to go to this scene. Hold on, let me pull and up that, that script. Will, yeah. But that's when you're because we're not. On, we weren't on a track. We weren't on a linear track. We were mm-hmm. on a choose your own adventure, free roam, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. But the script was sixteen hundred pages. Yeah. I mean, it, it's surprised. possible that it could be one of the largest scripts in the world. I'm not sure. I've never yeah, bothered to look, but sixteen hundred page of play is probably. Yeah. It's probably up there. Well, yeah. This is one of the things as well, and I think. Um, I've just started my immersive module that I do with my second years. And the first thing I always say to them, I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm like, I can talk to the cows come home about all these things that I've experienced, but what I can't really do is show you anything meaningful. Mm. What do you mean? Well, there's there's very little footage. There's very little Mm. of these sorts of mechanics. Yeah. I'm like, so I can, I can pass on my embodied knowledge yeah. of how the things I've encountered and all the chats I've had and all the work I've made. Yeah. So I can give you those toolkits in that way. What I can't do at the moment is like literally shut, because they're like, well, what does the script look like for this? What do the mechanics look like yeah. for this? And I'm like, well, at the moment, I am writing a book about it. Yeah. At the moment, I can't show you that. Yeah, and, yeah. and so it's so interesting though, because all companies have their own way of capturing that and passing that on. Because of course you have performers who come into this. So what, you know, what do you, you know, it's so. What do you give it's, to your performers? Uh, I give them scripts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wrote. I I come from, you know, a traditional theater background yeah. where you work on a play, do textual analysis, and then make a good play, mm-hmm. uh, which I still think is the exact same process. And now I'm just going. Well, I'm just writing comedies now, uh-huh. right? I mean, I you know, I when we talked about, um, I came up. We were, uh, we hosted the uh, the first. What was it called? It was the Immersive Design Summit. Uh, we hosted at our our venue, and uh, the second year I I basically kicked them out because I was like, you guys had 300 people or 400 people on the wait list, 
I was like, you need a bigger space. And they're like, mm. yeah, but we really like your venue. You know, we want to do it at the speakeasy. Mm-hmm. And I said, but the venue's not, big, not enough. big enough. You know, I said, it's not designed to hold 600 people in a room. And so you got 600 people that want to come. I said, let me help you out here. You can't, you can't come here. <laughs> and so it, it, they went somewhere out. They went yeah. to the Swedish... Um, the Swedish assembly hall or whatever it's called, but it was much bigger and more people came and it was great. And um, anyway, we were there, I popped in and uh, people were saying, you know, talking about, there was a little little breakout session and people were talking about, what's your next show? What are you working on? Mm-hmm. And I had just come back from Chicago and watched what was really a play that they were calling immersive, but you know, whatever. And I was like, it was inside of a house and it was a little like kind of house and garden kind of kind of concept. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, if they'd done this and that, but they'd never done immersive theater before. And so uh-huh. I was talking to them, I was like, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you, you know, have you thought about this? Yeah. Being kind of gentle about it. And they're like, yeah. no, and they knew what they, we know what we're doing. And I was like, great, you've got okay. it. You're, yeah. yeah, sure. Don't, don't open the bar in the middle of the show and let me get a drink, which I'm desperately dying for. Or when you passed out the birthday cake, like, I don't know, offer me a piece. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm, oh I'm watching the characters eat cake I'm at an immersive show you're eating cake and I don't get any so I was like and so me being the kind of jerk store that I am you know doing the I can make a selfie museum I was like I can do a house play like I'll do a house play Mm -hmm. so I that weekend I came up with this stupid ridiculous uh drag 1960s drag show with puppets where they lip sync to all these terrible 1960s uh, things but it's like a it's a kitchen sink drama mm-hmm. with drag queens but it's a comedy and I you know through Seakeasy which was really a drama uh, I found that um, and this kind of goes back to your you know how long shows run and the difference between kind of that you know doing um, you know work for art's sake versus commercial work mm-hmm. you know Speakeasy was created as a kind of an artistic endeavor but after four or five months, that audience had seen it. Yeah, yeah, And the yeah. people that were left mm-hmm. wanted to go and have a party and have a drink with their groups of friends. Mm-hmm. And we were fighting the audience, trying to tell them to be quiet. So I was creating more house rules and more things to control the audience. Mm-hmm. And I did that for too long, trying to think I could change the, the wave of the audience. You're trying to stop a tsunami. Yeah, yeah, you can't yeah, no. stop their behavior. No. So finally I said, let's get, we'll cut this and shit, you know, chop this up. and. I talked to Ben. We were at the at, in the cabaret watching the show, and I said, "Look at the way they're all interacting. Look at the way they're ignoring all these great scenes." Yes. And I said, "Do you want to keep doing this? Because we'll probably be closed." I said, "Or we can close in our minds this version of the show and shift, and it shift to what it. the audience are telling you they yeah. kind of want." And right, and I remember this. There's so much of my life I don't remember. Like I couldn't tell you what I did last week, but like that was such a pivotal moment to go. Let's keep this thing open. Let's make some money. Let's keep people employed. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's. So I said, we got to cut characters. Characters that I never thought could be cut, they got to go. Yeah. Let me reduce the material. People were having way too much FOMO. You know, they were just like, I didn't see everything. Mm-hmm. You know, someone actually said, nothing happens. And I go, that's not possible. There's 35 characters, 29 storylines, 1,600 pages. <laughs> like, oh, loads of stuff happened. <laughs> you couldn't take it all in, and you were overwhelmed. Yeah. Let me make this more bite-sized for you. Mm-hmm. And so pulling stuff out and extracting it and then focusing on the parties and the sing-alongs and letting them dance mm-hmm. and doing and basically putting in comedy, yeah. it was such so much more accessible and gave it a longer lifespan. And so as I come out with Mr. Tipsies, I go, you know what? Like, my days of trying to educate an audience and change their minds and their hearts and souls, mm-hmm. like, let's just entertain some people. And so when I was talking about this drag thing, people said something like, I've never, everyone's story was about this, like, we're going to explore this, you know, trauma of loss. And, you know, and there are all of these aversive yeah, ideas yeah, that yeah. are really intense. And I was like, so I got this idea for drag queen. <laughs> 
<laughs> and people are like, and they're laughing, they're smiling. Yeah. And, you know, I, it's not lost to me that I'm the, now I'm kind of the older guy in the circles, you know, and mm-hmm. people are like, what's going on over here? And I go, you know, know your audience. You know, if you want to run something for six weeks yeah. and you want to do that really intense thing, that's great, but know that it's going to run for six weeks. Yes. If you want to run something for six years or try, you better figure out who your audience is and, mm-hmm. and who's going to be coming there. What they want, what they're going to do, what they're willing to pay, all of yeah. those sorts of things. And if you can put in a little bit of that, I like. I yeah. still want to, I can't get away from being a, you know, I'm still an actor at 12 years old. Like, mm-hmm. that part hasn't left me, so I want to find moments that are sincere. Well, that's the thing, there are, but there are ways, aren't there, when you, can, when you build those kind of structures and you give people some of the things that they want, there are also ways of bringing in... A little bit. You give people little, their medicine, just yeah, a little bit, and they go, thank you for giving it to me. You know, because I still think you got to have meat on the bone. Yeah. And, it, and people got to... Otherwise, you have a hollow experience. And I'm, I'm really not, belligerent, but only because I'm in a privileged position. So I have a full-time salaried job. Oh, yeah. Which means I yeah, can go create whatever you want. making one-on-one yeah. work that maybe only 20 people will ever see ever. Yeah. And that's okay, and I really like doing that. Yeah. But I can only do that because I have a, a full-time job as well. Yeah. That does pay my rent and that does do all of those <clears> things. And, of course, so if you don't have that, then you also have to think about yeah. how do you how, how well do you I try to do both. So when we did the first speakeasy, I mean you have that main show that's running that everyone can see. It's funny I had so Gabe who created the immersive design summit uh, was at the speakeasy and I didn't really know him at the time, and he did something. He like put himself into a role and asked for a job and I made him a bar back. And just made him do some work, like literally work. And mm-hmm. he was so excited to do it. And I was like, this is re- this is stupid. Like, why is this guy? And I didn't even know him at the time. He just wanted to be in the show. Yeah. And I think I we had silver dollars and I just, you know, gave him a wage or something. And I was like, that was weird. And then I went and finally, I mean, years and years and years later, saw, uh, oh, that's not true. Because it was, it went to Boston and then went to New York. And I saw it in the, but it was what, 2000 and, when did I see Punch Drugs? Uh, uh, sleep no more. Would that have been 2010, 11? But I, yeah, I somehow connected the dots because I got pulled into a one-on-one, and I was like, "This is such a weird." Like it was just this weird thing where I was like, "I, I gave this guy a character. Mm-hmm. He did it. It was nothing. Nothing happened. It, in, it influenced nothing." And I was like, "I'm going to write 50 of these." So yeah. I wrote 50 of those. Mm-hmm. I had audience adventures, and then we did one-on-ones where we pulled people, and we call them little Easter eggs because you had to find them, right? Yes. So gaming tech, gaming terms. Absolutely, Right? Yes. And yes. so we call them Easter Everyone just, we still call them Easter eggs, and it's not even the right way to use the term. No. And other people say one-on-ones, <laughs> and we just go, it's an Easter egg. And uh-huh. people are like, are you talking about those Easter eggs? <laughs> you go, whatever, you know, you say well, tomato, tomato. Everyone has totally different You have your own kind of terms, yeah. Terminology. So people go, yeah. And yeah. so I go, well, if I use mine more, maybe people will start doing that, you know? Or, <laughs> you say yours and find that. I'll just say, yeah, like I said, extension lead today. I'm saying extension lead, not extension cord. It's like, <laughs> it's it's getting, it's permeating. Well, they're slightly different anyway, aren't they? Because I, I think Easter egg is okay when they're inside a larger scale Experience. Yeah, I mean, if you find it, you got to find it, right? That's yeah. that's the Easter yeah, egg, right? I mean, it goes it back out. to Atari, right? Yeah. You got to, like, uh, adventure. It's literally an adventure. You got to find, like, the creator of... And not everyone of, will get it. Not everyone gets it. If you don't go the right direction, you don't get it. Because for me, I think one-on-one's, uh, one-on-one is a mode of, ex- of, of kind yeah. of performance in its own right. But when yeah, it's to me, in well, a to larger, me, it's a tool. It's just a tool. Yeah. And we had some really cool ones. So I, I created this, uh, or who knows if I created it. Someone else created it. I stole it. I have no idea. <laughs> uh, but it was, I, I recognize that an audience 
shouldn't be in charge of the writing because one, they haven't gone to rehearsals and two, they're probably drunk. So we'll be in charge and mm -hmm. we'll just stick you in the middle. So we bookend it, we call them, we got the bookends, yeah. we got the beginning, we got the end, that's yeah. the script, and then you're the middle. And so when we had, cause you know, sometimes you pick the wrong person. So we go, skip the middle. And that was just our term, skip the middle. And you're like, you mm -hmm. got someone, you're like, skip the middle. <laughs> Just skip it. Just do your monologue. Stick it together because it works. And then in between, just yeah. get them out of here. <laughs> and uh, but those moments uh, were the things that people really they that they would they would have these special moments. And I never heard about them. But mm -hmm. every once in a while, I talk to the, an actor and they go, "Oh my god, I had the most incredible Easter egg today." Mm -hmm. And they would talk about it. And they never made it into reviews. They ne no one ever talked about. Them. They were way. I think my working theories they were just too special f for people to talk about yes but we yeah. gave people artifacts you know you had this trinket we gave them action items and people followed up and they were all very i mean the speakeasy was about how you live your life i mean mm -hmm. most of my work is about trying to find some sort of joy yes. in your life yeah. which is just it's that's been going on for years and i'm like okay i think this is like my deeper psychology working but yeah. um you know we one of them was you know, just well, who, who's that friend that you have that whenever you pick up the phone, you you, you snap right back into it. Mm -hmm. And you get people to talk about this person yeah. and go, when was the last time you called them? When was the last time you talked to them? And sometimes it's years. And you go, I want you to do something for me. It doesn't have to be today. It doesn't have to be tomorrow. But very, very soon, I want mm -hmm. you to call them. Will you do that? You shake their hand. You get an affirmation. You get a commitment. Mm -hmm. And then people would do that. They well, would literally do it. And that's that's very transformative. I was that's just going to say they're transformative. Those, yeah. I think those moments. And um, also they create a lot of um, friction in shows as well, especially like in yeah. Drunk's work, because if you don't find that or you don't get pulled into it. Yeah, and then you're angry. I had a, you know, people say, uh, well, I didn't know about that room. And I go, okay. Okay, you're not so did you, did you Did you have fun? Yes, and I go. That was your experience. Yes, you know, you, that's kind of the you point. stayed in this room the entire night and had a good time. Yeah, that's it. It's that's not. That's what you have. If you so you don't do ride that, Space Mountain. Again. You still had fun at Disneyland, didn't you? Yes. You know, it's fine. And and so I, I, but that's kind of the essence of it. Isn't yeah, it? it's like you could go a hundred times and have a completely I, different yeah, experience. Yeah, I think there's another friction that's caused too. Again, it goes back to the psychology. I. I had to fill in for this role. Sometimes I'd go in to clean a track up, you know, and sometimes you don't know, I gotta get in there to clean this track up and see what's going on. And so I'm like, I'll just do it. If it's a role I can play, I was like, I'll just do it tonight, you know? Mm -hmm. Like I wrote this, I know it, I know what's going on here. <laughs> and I open talk to people, I'm like, you know, support me. If I miss any lines, you got them, right? And and that's, I mean, that's a pretty laissez-faire of like, this was a script that was well rehearsed. And uh -huh. so, uh, I mean, we had pickup rehearsals every single Wednesday. So me going in was very, uh, people were like, okay, what's gonna happen? Because then I would I would change it and I go, you know what, let's, let's, let's clean this up a little bit, right? Because mm -hmm. uh, it was kind of just a molding thing. But I did this, I did this one and it was about, the character was a, a closeted homosexual, and um, you know, and it kind of, you know, tracked a little bit of my life. You know, grow up in Texas in the '90s, mm -hmm. and 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 coming out and that sort of thing. And so he talks about uh, holding, keeping a secret. Uh, you know, is is it okay to keep a secret from someone you love, like his wife, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, if it's going to hurt them, you know, it's a big question. So you yeah, have that yeah. conversation, and you and they would write down a secret on a piece of like flash paper. And then you give the choice. You can say, we can burn it. You can hold on to it. How do you, what do you want to do? And you give them that choice. And I think like a week later, I was talking to, just literally in the bathroom, when I see the security guard, I was like, hey, how's it going? You know, guys talk as they're doing, you know, washing yeah, hands, yeah, yeah. rah, rah, rah. <laughs> and um, he said, I had this weird interaction 
with the guy who came out and he goes, you know, I, I just had, he, I said, what happened? And he goes, he said that he was pulled into a closet by this guy. They talked about secrets and they burned some paper. And I was like, uh-huh. And he goes, and then his, he was kind of weird. And his girlfriend said something to him about, you know, uh, you know, uh, he talked about it with his girlfriend and the girlfriend got mad and left. And he was like, why'd the girlfriend leave? And he said, well, she might think that I'm gay. And the security guard who has nothing to do with nothing goes, and he goes, well, are you gay? And he goes, I don't know, maybe I might be. And I, like, so literally my story was his wow. story. And this was both a really, uh, uh, you know, that's a powerful moment for, for me to think about, like yes. I'm having that impact. But at the same time, recognizing what that responsibility is yeah. and going, that's not why him and his girlfriend came here tonight. Mm -hmm. He didn't know. Did I just bamboozle and sucker punch this guy into having some life altering? Is he ready for that? Mm -hmm. Does he want to have that? You know, I mean, it's not my job to drag people out of the closet if they don't no, want to come out of the closet. These are a lot of the questions I think that are being asked at the moment, aren't they? This idea of. What's our what's our duty of care? What's our duty of responsibility? That's right. What's our Not just to the audience, but to the performers. Yes. Right. Yes, absolutely. So with Mr. Tipsy's, I made an, a massive change after only three uh, performances, uh, which we don't even call them performances now because I basically took out the concept of a show. Mm -hmm. uh, I built this as a linear track mainly because I was tired. I was like, I don't want people to go wherever they want to go. Like, I'm always, they're going into rooms I don't want them to go into. This, it? Yeah, it's like little toddlers <laughs> running around. I got private signs and I got to hire more staff to keep an eye on everybody and they're yeah. stealing stuff. And yes. it's just, you know, and I go, okay, I'm just going to put everyone on a track and move them through, right? Mm -hmm. And I go, this will be great. And um, it was an hour. You spend 10 minutes in every room and the machine worked flawlessly. Mm -hmm. The one we rehearsed it very, you know, we had three weeks of rehearsals, COVID, all that stuff. But the script was written. We did all the pre-production, ten, you know, six six rooms, ten minutes, an hour. You get your drink in every single room, but it's designed to get you drunk. Yes. By the end of it, and well, there behaviors are two, come with that, don't they? And two things I did. <laughs> two things. So one is you guys, uh, you know, this is nothing. There's no slight against people in UK, but you like your drink, wow. and you guys do a thing that we don't do, which is called pre-gaming. And that's even a term you have. And yes, in San yes. Francisco, they wouldn't pre... If I was going to a immersive cocktail experience, I wouldn't drink... That's like eating a meal before you go out to dinner. Oh, yeah. And I go... I, so bottles of wine and I go, gin before So they they're coming in at a level, and then they're then my drinks, my Spirit 4 drinks, are doing exactly what they were designed to do mm -hmm. and getting people too far too quickly. And the 10 minutes every, you know, every 10-minute move was this kind of frenetic energy. So we had... We had audience problems from day one. I, I had to kick say, a guy out on day one. Oh, and, you know, he got drunk and he made inappropriate, uh, you know, physical gestures. And I, I, walked, I walked him out, got a, I kept an eye, walked him out, walked in. The, 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 the person who this happened to said, you know, that guy just did this to me. And I turned, I about face turned, walked back out, said, stand up, walk out. And the entire, I mean, the whole floor is just like, what's, you know, I mean, I'm going smiling and then I turn around because I was like, I'm not dealing, no, I was like, get him, and he's like, what? And I, his a companion, who was a woman, I said, he just, he told him what happened. I said, this is what your, this is what your friend just did. And as a woman, you shouldn't, you should, that's a problem, yes. you know? And uh, I said, you got to go right now. You got to leave. And they were already on the way out the door. I was like, no, but there's no tying your shoelaces. You need to go now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I, we got through the shows and I said, man, oh man, this is, I was like, I don't know how I'm going to fix this. And I was like, oh, 
hello, free roam, my old friend. I got to take out the time code and uh-huh. got to let people. And this wasn't built. You know, it's it's a linear movement. Yeah, I and so say, I said, now I got to fix the doors and change the doors and let people. So now we're mm-hmm. letting people go into different locations. We've we've only been open for six weeks, three weeks the one way because we had to change it. And then three <laughs> weeks this way. <laughs> yes. And we haven't had a single it's gone it just overnight i was like i go wait a second we haven't had any audience problems Mm. and people are relaxed they're chill which is what i want from them you know i got a tiki lounge here i got a white sandy beach i want this to be a place where you relax not a place where you get nervous you know crazy energy i wonder why because the booze is always there that preloading for some reason it's just like a a cultural thing it's the booze yeah. on top of the excitement of seeing something new I mean yeah. I have it you have it yeah. you go what's in here what's in this place What's in? and if you're being shoved through the next Quickly, room maybe, what's yeah. your, and then you don't have time to do the, the room mm-hmm. you know and so the room is such a feature here because it is do you think crowds have something to do with that as well is because there's groups moving through well imagine if you got together. 20 people moving in a group and two of them are hammered those 18 people aren't having a good time. And they're, I go, you're on a roller coaster, you can't get off. Mm-hmm. And if someone's on that roller coaster is is crazy, yeah. that's not a good roller coaster experience. <laughs> so you gotta. Re- I had to remove the track. Uh-huh. And so instead of you going on a ride, I go, this is the theme park and each room is its own, ro- is its own ride. So the rooms, so it actually gives us the opportunity to create more material mm-hmm. and have new characters. So it means I got to, you know, take uh, what I thought was a, you know, I'm being clever with like a 60 page script. Uh-huh. You know, I did a 1600 page script and I go 60 pages. This is great. This is easy street. And I go, probably. all right, I probably got to do another 60, 100 pages, mm-hmm. you know. But, you know, the, I always kind of joke. I go, it writes <laughs> itself. It's fine. You come up with a bit, you write it down. Uh, but it's, yeah, it's a little bit more bitty than, and that's right. I took out the narrative, mm-hmm. uh, the, the concept of an overarching narrative. So there's many arc narratives, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, it's easier to maintain. It's easier to, uh, and by easier, it's not, uh, it's cheaper to maintain too. Yeah, and are they, so is it like rooms are sort of mini narratives within? I, now it's just, you know, the rooms are characters. Uh-huh, well, yeah. Right? Let the, yeah, I always tell people, yeah. stop working so hard. Let the, the room space, do its job. Yeah. yeah, you're here, you want to hang out here. And it's still designed for people to want to hang out. People just wanted to hang out in the speakeasy. And we I, couldn't get them to leave. Yeah, no, I you know. know? I, and I go, well, let's. Why am I working so hard? If you just want to sit here <laughs> and talk, like I, I, we, we had, you had a, you know, you'd pay. Our tickets were like a hundred and, you know, they averaged, you know, somewhere a hundred, hundred and fifty dollars. And then you would have to buy stuff on top. Like you want to go to the fake casino, you had to pay ten bucks to get chips to a fake casino. And I was like, oh, we have to have prizes. You didn't need anything. People just want to no, pretend gamble. Just pretend, and yeah. you'd get a guy. He'd be dragged there with his wife. He didn't want to go to some immersive show. But, he but might boy, he did like that casino. He loves playing craps, and gambling's not legal in in, in San Francisco. Oh. Now you had to go like the Indian reservations and stuff like that, or you go to Nevada's legal, but California's oh, not. Okay. So different states have different. Yeah, we we got our own. You know, states' right all that weird yeah, stuff yeah. and so um i go hey if they want to pay a hundred bucks to come in here and another you know 10 and plus drinks just to fake gamble i'd say i go you know you go to vegas you're probably going to lose a lot more than that oh yes so that was your night that mm-hmm. was your night people would come just to play craps they just wanted to play craps all night long. And so we had scenes in there, and people were going, why are you interrupting my fake gambling? I always say the word fake. They wouldn't say fake gambling. <laughs> no, but like it was gambling. definitely fake gambling. Yes. I go, why are you interrupting <laughs> my fake gambling to watch this theater scene that you guys rehearsed so diligently <laughs> and took two years to write the script for? You know, And once you get over the... Uh, 
you know, the, the being kind of butthurt about, I did all this work on this script that you don't care about. Mm-hmm. You go, I just, let's just gamble. Well, that's the thing is that the audience becomes, is, is a, and this is what's difficult as well, is the audience is, is a part of the work. Yeah, the except they don't show up to rehearsals. But they're an absent, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. They don't. They, they never bothered to show up they're for rehearsals. They're never in the process. Yeah, they're, they're never in the process. And you're trying to please them, and they're yeah. a big part of it as well. And so they're they're the worst scene partners you could ever, ever work have. with. Yes, <laughs> they just rock up. Yeah. They haven't learned their they haven't lines. learned their lines. It's like working with some like. I don't know, you know, some rolling in some cokehead 1980s like Robert Downey Jr. Like, give me my lines, yes. you know. Not Robert Downey Jr. now who prepares. No, no yes. back then. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, thanks for showing up. Yeah, pre-jive. Yeah, they're like, I'm the reason this thing's here. Just give me my, give me my script. I'll do my and how do you, how do you manage that absence when your first kind of when you're writing those we scripts, role play. when you build those scripts, We role play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I tell people to be assholes. Mm-hmm. I go, great, you guys were really nice to each other. Try it again and be the guy who's talking over the entire scene. Mm-hmm. And they're like, what? And I was like, there's a guy who's going to talk over the entire scene. How are you going to deal yeah. with that? <laughs> and so they do that, you know. And, uh, you know, I, I've just over the years have developed these little, you know, uh, techniques, which I'm sure have been developed over here where – you know, I'll go up to someone, you know, if they're talking over scene and you don't need to say anything, you don't need to say shush, you just, you know, put your hand on their shoulder and just kind of get quieter. And I actually used to, so I was in sales, I used to sell things and I would deal in a noisy sales room and these mm-hmm. were the techniques that we used. Yes. And people weren't paying attention, they start talking really softly. Yeah, because And then, and you would ask a question like, does that sound good to you? And then the, usually the man, right, who was ignoring you, you're not gonna sell me anything, mm-hmm. you know? And they would, and then the wife would nudge him and he'd go, huh? And he'd lean in, and you would go, yeah, okay, and you just start talking like that for like 15 minutes, and then suddenly you got up. They're you like, oh, sh- the I have 100. percent And so I did that stuff. That's how I paid my way through college doing mm-hmm. sales. I did sales early in my and uh, life. It was as well. this was real cut. There was 100 percent commission. Like I needed to make money to go to school, mm-hmm. and I was like, I've done this before. I know how to get people who aren't paying attention. Or distracting as well. I know that some of the other companies like Colab and like um, like Owen with Parabolic. Yeah. They they do that and then distract. Like, yeah. oh, such and such character wanted you to do this or yeah, I, I, yeah. you're special I'm going to give you like a special I'm going to give you special yeah yeah you special. we always have people who are just in our like <laughs> I just, actors would not go to their light and our, our light was very because it's a dark dark shut like we had to get the that's how you get people to pay attention make it dark yeah make it dark put some light right here yes. I go this room's too bright no one's going to pay attention <laughs> yeah it looks beautiful turn the lights off mm-hmm. and uh, you get your pin spot lights and the actors want to be in it because an audience member will be there and I go you got to get them out well, how do you do I go you got to scrape like what do you mean scrape? I go, you just put your arm on the wall as you're walking to your place. You're just like a like a snow plow. Just scrape them off. And I would just display, you know, I go go stand there and I go over there and do, you know, scrape with the right arm, start to gently move with the left arm, yeah. and you push them out to sea like a buoy. <laughs> yeah. And I go, it's and then they're you got to get your you know a couple of feet distance and then you uh-huh. kind of shove them away as and the other people are watching you act and talk and meanwhile your arms are just, <laughs> just moving people and then you. Can get to your light and you're like oh, i don't know and i go listen you got to be able to do that you can't do that you can't work here you yeah know? because otherwise you just can't get through those crowds i go guys that was a great scene couldn't see you no one listened yeah. <laughs> so i became very uh yeah people were like uh you know you know next coming in to see the show he's like you know and i would just go yeah it was a great scene but couldn't couldn't hear you you got to get that room you know 
So, you know, we, I mean, we had just the tracks in front of house too, is you got to close the doors and you got to do this and you got to do that. I mean, it was such a, and that's why I go, hey, I'll make this easier on myself. There was, <laughs> but to build all of it, you don't know that when you're first, you know, you can't think of that in your head. No. You have to do it and then you got to, you have to train wreck for like, I mean, I tra- was train wrecking for months, you mm-hmm. know, just in operations and creative. And so my goal here is to do what took me three years and three months. And yes. it's, that's yeah. part's exhausting. But, you go, I've seen this before. Yeah, the time Let's gets do short, doesn't it? When and there more is, and more experience there's no got. way to train. You don't, you can talk, I can talk to someone. I got an email yesterday from some guy back home and I talked to him about a year ago and he, you know, I've got this show, I've, you know, he's talking about how great his thing's going to be. And, mm-hmm. and I told him a year and a half ago, I go, this sounds like an agenda theater project. Like you have an agenda with this, which is, I said, that's a short shelf life. If it's going to be about a particular topic, not telling you shouldn't do a play about this topic over here that's very important i said but most people don't want to see that they don't want to be preached to when they go in so that's great you're doing immersive theater and now he's talking about a long lease and a bar program and i was like he's like can i get some some of your time and usually i give time and i was like i don't have time right now you Mm -hmm. know i was like i i'm really i'm still doing my thing yes and i said but i was literally falling asleep last night i was like i'm gonna i'm gonna give him some pointers (laughs) literally my finger on my phone like typing weird words, <laughs> committed to responding to this guy, going, you know, what, what, I was like, this is a pretty broad question. What advice can I give you? I was like, number one, get a business partner. Yes, you know, yes. number two, whatever your budget is, double it. And I was like, I'm gonna give you broad answers here that you maybe not even thinking of, but just double whatever that is. Yes. And uh, <laughs> and then I said something, I was like, and license, I was like, you need, you need a, a liquor license in San Francisco or 250, 275,000 unless you're a nonprofit and you can get this. And he's going, well, I was like, I don't have time to go into real estate with you, buddy. But I was like, you're not going to get your liquor license. That's not that's not the way we do things in San Francisco. We actually limit how much people, we can't just get like, they don't just hand licenses no, out. They no. actually want to prevent people from drinking at every single location in the city. Yeah. So there's, there's, well, there's London, numbers. I think it's fairly similar in that respect, isn't it? Well, I don't know. I don't know. It just came with the building. I was like, what? I was like, how much is the liquor license? They're like, comes with the building. I was like, it's free. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's probably built somewhere. Buildings, buildings, yes. If you're trying to do anything pop up or in spaces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got the, what is it called? A 10, a temporary event? Something, something. Yeah, that's that's what I was going to do. And then I own, I got another venue. I can't seem to get, I was like, I'm never doing another (laughs) venue again. And here I am with the venue. I was like, oh man, yeah. I gotta go fix the fire alarm and the sprinklers. <laughs> that, for most of the people I talk to, that's one of the biggest issues now is like, is those kind of health and safety issues with some of these buildings in yeah. London. Is literally just fire exit sprinklers. Well, and that San Francisco is very stringent on uh, health and safety and fire. We have earthquakes, you know, there's a lot of stuff. Yes. And we have the ADA, which is American Disabilities Act. And I'm, routinely you know surprised by because you have really old buildings and they're like that's close enough and i was like that ramp isn't correct and it's close enough and i go well that's nice to have leeway because at speakeasy we had to rip out our entire hand all of our handrails everywhere a week before we opened at quite an expense because we had to put them in take them out buy new wood because they were one eighth of an inch too large and i was like but i'm not even the one that picked the handrails out like how about the guy who chose the handrail could he be on the hook for you know whatever 10 15 grand that i had to use to do that and so if you go there a little fun fact look at all the exit signs because i wanted the exit signs to be in world because i'm insane i was like it has to be in world so they're all they're all framed with the old handrails 
you can look and see our old hand. We got all this wood, and I was like, mm, that'll be the border of the, like, we use that handrail everywhere, because we had loads of it, yeah. and that was one-eighth of an inch. And so when I come out and I look at people's buildings, I, having gone through a year and a half of a build, probably in the, one of the hardest places in the world to build, mm -hmm. I was like, I know exactly what the gallons per flush on a toilet is. Like, I got information wow. I don't ever want to have known. <laughs> I was like, okay, how do I get a period 1920s toilet when the gallon per flush nationally is 1.37, but San Francisco wants to be really green, so it's 1.25, but the only place that makes toilets are in Florida. So like you want a 1920s toilet that's got to come from Florida. They're going for the federal regulations, not for the city regulations. Oh, and why do I know 1.23 after all? That was 2015. Why do I know this? emblazoned on your brain. <laughs> but then that's the detail, isn't it, of, of having that in-world everything. Well, that's so now we've moved to, to let's do theatrical world. gestures. <laughs> Yes. You go there, people are like, holy smokes, this place is built like, is that real tint? Yes, it is. Is that is that wallpaper? Yes. And did it cost millions and millions of dollars? But I, you know, it made coming out here so much easier yeah. because I have a $3 million resume back in San Francisco where mm -hmm. I don't have to sit there and go, you know, there's a lot of skepticism. You know, are you going to do the thing you say you're going to do? Yes. You know, for some crazy reason, I decided to come out in uh, the height of the pandemic in January, February find a venue that I'd never, you know, I've only been to this town five or six times before yeah. and work with 100, 150 people I've never met before mm -hmm. and build an experience which we're sitting in right now. Yes, like all of that's saying, happened. Yeah. It's starting to come so alive. So whether or not it runs well. for six years, six months and people snicker behind, you know, we were talking earlier about someone who had a show and it closed prematurely because of things that were kind of out of their hands. Yeah. There's a lot of things out of my hands that is up to the market and up to the city. As much mm -hmm. market research as you can do, it doesn't prepare you for this. And you go, it doesn't matter. I built the thing. And that's what um, uh, Dean Rogers, you know, D you know, Dean Rogers, like yes, great guy. Yes. He was the first guy. He came and said, he goes, by the way, congratulations. you got to be so proud. He goes, you did it. Yes. And we forget to say that to yes, each other. So, like you built the thing you said you, you were going to build. build. <laughs> you, you, you did that part, you yes. know. The, the, the next part, a lot of it is is luck. And Yeah, it's just you know? keeping people coming through. Yeah. And it's some, sometimes things people love things and sometimes they don't. Yeah. But people I'm love it. They go. I go. I, as I talk about, you know, as as we're, you know, still building, and I'm, I got to change things, and the R and D, and all of that, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, we're still waiting. I didn't. We chose our, our opening date before the Delta variant, you know, went out. So, yes. you know, we're waiting for things to kind of reopen, and it's not. It's ev anyone doing this work, you know, you, everyone's in the same boat, whether they want to yeah, smile through like it or not. Back you got to hold. Yeah, 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 yeah. We were all like, let's get to January and hope there's not another lockdown. Uh, so. <laughs> You know, but everyone's been restaurants. I mean, the whole hospitality sector and all the stuff that's gone with that between Brexit and COVID and losing, you know, bartenders and staff. I mean, there's loads of things. I'm like, boy, I couldn't have even imagined that back in January. No. And uh, I said, but I was talking to an investor yesterday and I said, imagine if the show didn't work. Imagine if people didn't enjoy coming. Yeah. Like that's the part you get right. So it's like operations, marketing, you know, uh, awareness, all of these other things well, that, that go isn't with it. it. That's, that's the reality is all of that gets hidden from the people who walk in, yeah. walk in the door. Yeah, they just come and do the experience. Yeah. So sometimes you gotta be reminded by that. Just go to the experience and sit there and go, people are loving this thing, yes. you know? And that, that's and, what matters at the yeah. heart of it, isn't it? Is, is those people who walk in the door and the experience that they have, whatever yeah. that might be. And 
And who knows why we choose to do I mean, there's so many better ways to make money. You know, I could go be a creative director for a marketing agency and get paid like, you know, probably half a million, three quarters. I mean, in San Francisco, like yeah. I, you know, and, and work benefits, nine to five yeah. and take holidays and, nice and not. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> but like, that's so boring. This yes. is so much more like insanely interesting. Well, we're chatting in a room that has a lovely sort of tented ceiling and is I'm surrounded by clouds. I mean, yes. how many people get to do that? No, and I tell you when I, I'm, I'm going, you know, as the rain starts and the snow's gonna hit, I was like, that warm sandy beach is gonna be where people Haven. wanna hang out. It yeah, basically just. going, even today, on a day like today, you know, I got absolutely drenched on the way here. It's horrible outside, just driving rain. But inside it's warm. It's warm, it's nice. It's nice, yeah. there's clouds, it's relaxed. And that's, and that's, I think, what this industry, what this genre can do. It's, it can let people escape. Yes. And so, you know, people kind of ask me, like, uh, you know, you, the typical, like, what kind of advice or whatever, you know, and you start with the typical, which is don't do it. If you can yes. do anything else, Everyone do something else, right? But, <laughs> I mean, that part aside, you know, I just, I question and go, does it need to be so serious? You know, I mean, it's funny. I did all the serious stuff. I was I, I was trained as a clown. Yeah. The way I paid for all my serious theater was clowning mm -hmm. and entertaining children. And I'm like, this audience, if you get a couple of drinks at them, they're basically kids. They There's are, no yeah. difference. No, and so you, you go, can this be funny? Can this moment be funny? Like, why do people need to just rip their hearts out and put them on the ground? Why you got to stomp on their hearts? <laughs> like... Just because you can, like, the, you can also make them laugh and they'll probably come back. Like, look how long musicals run versus, I mean, Angels in America is a phenomenal show. It's not going to run forever. And you know that going into it. It's hard. So it's hard when, you do, when you do your immersive dramatic show mm -hmm. that's going to change everyone's minds about the way they feel about this social injustice travesty, mm -hmm. just know that there's a limited audience for that. And if they're laughing about something that's irreverent, like it might run longer. And then you have, for me, I can, I go, what, the benefit of that is I can dig in deeper, go deeper. I can make the production value higher, mm -hmm. right? I can make the experience richer. Yes. I can employ people longer. Like those are the things I focus on now. Yes. You know, yeah. I, yeah. I'm not just focused on, oh, shucks. You know, I just, I wrote a script and then a week after it opened, I ripped it all apart. I was like, I'm very, uh, I, I'm not polite with my own work. So yeah, why yeah. would I be polite with someone else's work? You yes, know, I'm yeah, judicious yeah. and I'm going to do that quickly. And I, my, my biggest, I wouldn't say regret, but I had that conversation myself. Don't, after Speakeasy, I let it go on for a year. I tried for a year, literally a year of my life, trying to get the audience to change. And I went, no, nah, fuck it. They're not going to change. I'll change. Mm -hmm. Because you can't control what other people do. You can only control what you yes, do. Yes, no, exactly. So Absolutely. I go, I'll do this. I'll change it. Mm -hmm. And I'll, and then, and then hopefully they'll like this. Yeah. Right? And you got to trust that. But you also just got to be, you got to be swift. You know, it's, it, if it don't work, it don't work. You got to trust those instincts. You yes, know? yes. And you do very much build up instincts, I think. I think so, if you've seen it before. Especially yeah. if you, I mean... You know, I talk to a producer, he goes, it's so much cheaper to learn from someone else's mistakes. Yes, of course it and is. I go, that's, I always love going, so, so what'd you screw up, you know, last week? Yeah, what you went know? wrong? Yeah, I spent a lot of time doing that. So. Well, there are so many things I really want to, that I could talk to you for hours and hours, but I can hear the venue is coming. Oh, we're opening, It's yeah. coming alive people around, are, people are gonna be here around soon. us, so I, I'm very, very much aware of that. Yeah. But what is the best way for people to kind of 
keep an eye on what you're doing, what you're up to, what's coming next. Mm. Where's the best place for people to see? Well, that for Mr. Tipsy's, we're what are we? We're downthehatshow.co.uk. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the speakeasy, uh, the venue still exists. The show's closed, but we still do events there. Oh, we'll lovely. do Halloween, New Year's Eve, mm-hmm. I have Valentine's Day. A good half of my listeners are in the States. So. Mm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, before the pandemic hit, I was going to reopen it in a, like, three months, four months, like, uh, a limited seasonal thing. Oh, okay. Um, and uh, so the speakeasysf.com, that's still, you know, it's still around. And uh, yeah, so you know, I, I mean, I, the, I, I, who knows where, what, what, I mean, I don't plan two weeks ahead anymore. I stopped doing that, <laughs> yes. you know, back when, when you know, fool me once, you know, shame on me, kind of thing. But after yeah, a while, yeah. I was like, well, I'll let you know where I am next yes. week. So who knows? This I could be in <laughs> Vegas doing this. I could be in Birmingham. I could be doing slumber party, or I don't know. Speak. It doesn't. I, mm-hmm. Who knows? Doesn't you know? I'll probably or or maybe I'll just go back to that nice cush sales job. <laughs> yeah, maybe. So for now, you can definitely come down to London, come to America Square. I hope so. Yeah, and, get a little uh, slice of Americana. Enjoy the experience <laughs> here. And do, are you active on Twitter or anything like? I'm not that? personally. I barely use social I media. Use yeah. Uh, I, I I I I it's terrible. It's awful. Uh, I every once in a while I'll post like a thing and it's like there's no engagement. I've well, there's we, something like two two followers. We should just. They know your name, so we should just set it as like a sort of like a, a little scavenger hunt. That if they want to know more about you and they want oh to yeah, find that's out that's such an immersive you. theater thing yeah. to do. It's a secret. People go, is it a secret? secret? No, it's not a secret. I want everyone to know where I'm at. Uh, but you, I mean, you, if someone really wants to find me to They'll talk to me for some you, reason, you could yeah. probably figure it out. And if you can't, you probably haven't earned the right. You know, like I don't want to talk <laughs> to someone if I got to spoon feed everything. I probably don't want to talk to that person. You gotta, no, exactly. you gotta be smart enough to figure out how to Google my name. <laughs> it's a challenge set. <laughs> it's a challenge Anyone set. who is listening, either come down to America Square or get on uh, the World Wide Web and start a little scavenger hunt. <laughs> <laughs> the World Wide Web. <laughs> Right, well, I shall uh, bring this to a close, but thank you so much. Yeah, good luck with the book. I'm waiting to read that book. I hope I I I get some some proofreads. Goodness, if I actually get some time to do the book. But thank you so much for taking the time, and I can hear that people are arriving. And I'm going to be going through the... uh, through the different rooms very shortly after we've spoken so i'm really looking forward to that so thank you very much thank you i hope you enjoyed that episode Uh, i certainly had a really wonderful time exploring the different spaces in the uh the lounges and the different atmospheres but also exploring those different alcoholic beverages so that was rather lovely and as promised i did come out slightly tipsy so i'm quite glad i did the discussion before going through the experience rather than afterwards. Um, I can't really promise that there's going to be sort of monthly installments anymore the way that there used to be of Tate, but I'm going to do my best to get out to as many venues as I can, or at least capture people in the Zoomosphere to chat with them and produce something fairly regularly for you. Uh, I have a lot of research commitments at the moment. I've just moved house. Um, So I'm still surrounded by boxes uh, staring at me going, unpack me, sort yourself out, which I I have to do as well. Um, But yes, I will do my very best to get things out to you fairly regularly. Um, But at the moment, I can't promise exactly how regularly that will be or what the next episode might be. You will just have to subscribe if you don't want to miss out on any new content. As usual, 
absolutely love to hear from uh, any of you that are listening across the globe, whether it be questions, comments, thoughts, or even suggestions that I should probably be talking to you. You can reach me uh, on talkingaboutimmersivetheatre at gmail.com. Or if you're more enterprising, you can probably Google me and find my work email, which I'm not going to give out on here, uh, and reach me that way too, because that uh, is something that I check on a fairly regular basis. So I really hope you enjoyed that. And um, there will be something coming out again fairly soon, but I can't really give you an ETA on when that will be. Just keep your ear to the ground to find out. So until next time, ta-ta!